Hi everyone, and welcome to RX Rounds, a podcast that focuses on health education in the Caribbean community. I am your host, Alandra Mitchell. Diabetes, also known as high blood sugar, is one of the top five most prevalent disease states in the Caribbean. The World Health Organization estimates that by the year 2030, just 10 years from now, the prevalence of diabetes in Latin American and Caribbean countries is expected to increase by 40% of what it was in 2000. Statistics such as these indicate that we have a very important duty to prevent diabetes and manage it. In this episode, preventive medicine physician Dr. Sadrina Calder addresses some of the myths associated with diabetes and diet in the Caribbean. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to RX Rounds. This is a very cool episode because we're going to be talking with Dr. (laughs) Sadrina Calder, also known as the Fit Doc. And we're talking about diabetes today. So this is a very important episode for you guys because we have a lot of issues associated with diabetes and it'll be good for you to get the inside scoop from somebody who does this all the time. So she is a preventive uh, medicine physician in Tennessee. So let's go ahead and introduce uh, Dr. Calder. Hi, I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to share, you know, my the knowledge I have and hope to educate people, provide some good information for um, people as well. So I am a preventive medicine doctor. I work in public health. So I actually work with a lot of underserved communities. So people who either, most of my patients either have no insurance, they may have uh, some insurance like Medicaid. Um, And for those of you in the Caribbean may not understand, but it's like social, type of coverage, government-sponsored insurance. And so those are most of my patients. And then some of them, there's small percentage that may have insurance. A lot of my patients don't um, have adequate income. They may be unemployed. They may be on disability. They may have employment, but just don't make that much money. Um, So those are primarily the people who I serve. So I do serve a lot of people who come in with a lot of chronic medical problems that a lot of times have not been properly treated. Um, Sometimes they just have a lot of other things going on in their lives. And because of that, health hasn't been the top priority. So um, they usually will come to us after they're in crisis. I'm working on trying to really educate my patients on the importance of uh, taking their health seriously and trying to work to improve it as well. Um, Now, in terms of my Caribbean background, my dad is Jamaican. Um, My mom is American. Now, when you speak to my dad, he, you know, when I grew up, he was always like, "Um, you're not just American. Just because you were born in America. (laughs) That's the case for both of us. (laughs) (laughs) You're Jamaican. I don't care, you know, what you might think. Like, this is this. So that's very much has been ingrained in my, um, me growing up. So, and I do very much embrace Caribbean culture. Um, I love going to Jamaica. I have a lot of family that's still there. A lot of his brothers and sisters still live there. He has a house. And so, yeah, so I do go frequently. Um, well, as often as I can. Um, what else? Um, so, I mean, I think that's the best introduction. I, I will add something that I did actually start out doing surgery for a couple years. Wow. Um, I did a couple years of residency in surgery. 
then during that time, I um, was actually between the times I was, I finished two years and I was going to reapply to try to finish my surgery residency because I needed a full like five-year contract here in the States. That's what's required. And I had done two years, but they were like individual contracts. So while I was out, I started to work in HIV. So I do have a background in HIV prevention and um, somewhat treatment. I didn't treat the patients, but I managed a HIV prevention treatment program. So during that time, I started to learn more about health, wellness, prevention. I started bodybuilding during that time. And I learned that I really loved weight management. I love nutrition. I love teaching other people how to improve their health. And I realized that I wanted to incorporate that into my career somehow. And at the time, I didn't know how I was going to do that, being that in my mind, I still was going to do surgery. So over the course of a few years, finally came to the conclusion that I wasn't going to do surgery. I found preventive medicine. I didn't know really much about it at the time. And as I discovered more information about it, I realized that that was my calling. And that's how I ended up in preventive medicine. So. Wow, that's pretty awesome. And preventive medicine is not something people focus on, right? They often yeah. things after you've been diagnosed. After so this facts. is probably the best situation for you to be in. So you help address those folks that really need your help. Yes, no, absolutely. Um, people are just now starting to realize how important prevention is. Mm-hmm. At least here in the United States, they're doing more work on prevention. It's becoming something that people are highlighting more. They're talking about it more. So I'm, I'm really thankful for that. And I think I got into it at a good time where people are embracing it more. Yeah. So today we're talking about diet and diabetes. And I think, well, we already mentioned this is probably one of the most prevalent disease states in the Caribbean specifically and in the U.S. as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so what exactly is diabetes? Tell us, because we often hear mm-hmm. high blood sugar, right? What does Mm -hmm. that mean? So diabetes is a condition, and there are two different types, type 1 and type 2. We'll get into that. But it's a condition where you are, for whatever reason, you're not able to regulate your body's blood sugar properly for different reasons. And the reason why that becomes a problem is because our body relies on sugar to function. um, But too much of it not sitting in our blood causes problems. So when you have diabetes, you're not able to bring the blood sugar into your cells, into the different parts of your body, different organs to utilize it properly. Um, And as a result, you just have a lot of sugar sitting around in your blood. It causes a lot of issues. Pretty much affects all parts of your body. Mm -hmm. It affects your, it can affect your vision. It can affect your, um, it can increase your risk of having infections. Um, It can cause your circulation. That's one of the biggest things. It affects your circulation, not just tiny vessels, but the large vessels as well. So the vessels of the uh, heart, it can affect small, uh, the vessels in your legs and, and can cause ish circulation issues. It can um, affect the vessels in your eyes and lead to blindness potentially. Um, it also um, can cause uh, nerve problems where you have numbness and tingling in your feet um, potentially, and then it can increase your risk for things like a stroke and a heart attack. Um, it also, um, can, um, you know, just lower your, your 
if you're not controlling it properly, it will affect the, your length, the, the, your life expectancy as well mm -hmm. because of these issues that it can cause as well. Um, so that's pretty much what diabetes is in a nutshell. Yeah. So tell us about that um, type one and type two that you were talking mm -hmm. about. What's the difference? Okay. So type one is the type of, it's the more rare type of diabetes. So not many people are type one. Most people are type two. Type one um, is caused by a combination of things. And they're actually, honestly, they are still not quite sure how people end up getting type one diabetes. There's a lot of research that's done on it. Um, but what they, what they think is it's a combination between like genetics. So you inherit some type of inheritance going on as well as um, some environmental things. So what they think may happen is that at some point, maybe you had some type of virus or toxin that helped to destroy the, the cells in um, your pancreas, which is an organ in your body um, that helps to make a hormone that's responsible for regulating your blood sugar. And we'll get into that. And that's, that hormone is insulin. So that's pretty much what type one is. You normally see it in younger people. You normally happens, it normally appears before the age of 40 and most frequently in people a lot younger than that. Like people under 20, um, ch children, you'll see it frequently appear in. Um, and those people, they can't make any insulin. So that hormone insulin that your body makes to try to regulate your blood sugar, um, type one diabetics just don't make it. Type 2 diabetes um, is a little bit different. So it's caused by, there's a genetic component too, meaning you can inherit if you have it, if it runs your family, it makes you more susceptible, but it doesn't mean you have to get it. And we'll get into how do you prevent yourself from getting more susceptible, but um, it, it's genetics and then lifestyle factors. So that's important. A lot of these things that we do to ourselves, that's what leads to diabetes. Yeah. So it's genetic component and the lifestyle component. You can't change the genetic component, but you can very much so change the lifestyle component and control that. Um, so different things like smoking and not managing, um, um, uh, not managing your weight properly or um, not exercising, a diet that's not healthy, those are the things that can contribute to you developing diabetes. Um, so that with type two, initially when someone develops type two diabetes, they are actually still making their own insulin. Over time, though, um, they're, the cells in the pancreas that make insulin start to die off. And at some point, you're not making enough and you require insulin. And when that point is, it depends on the person. If you're managing your diabetes well and you're doing a lot of these changes in your lifestyle to help improve your health, then you may not reach that point for a very long time. Now, if you don't follow those types of things, you're not maintaining your lifestyle properly and you're not taking medication or whatever it is to manage your diabetes, then that probably will happen to you a lot sooner to where you'll need insulin mm -hmm. a lot earlier. And a lot of people are familiar with insulin because it's one of the major medications that are taken by diabetics. So they're probably thinking, okay, my body produces insulin too. Like, how does that work? Mm -hmm. So the pancreas is an organ in your body, and it makes different hormones. One of the hormones is insulin. Insulin um, basically sends a signal to your body um, to take in 
the blood sugar. So the sugar, when you consume food, it breaks down the food into different parts and those sugars are in your bloodstream. So the different organs in your body need the sugar. The cells need the sugar to, to operate properly. Their energy, it's a source of energy. So to bring the sugar in, insulin needs to be there right. to kind of tell the cell to take in the sugar. But when you're not making enough insulin, then it's not, you're not going to be doing that the way you should be. So you'll have a higher amount of sugar in your bloodstream. Or if you're, what happens in type 2 diabetics, they make the insulin, but then their cells are kind of resistant and not really responding as well to the insulin. So now your pancreas starts working overtime, trying to make more insulin because it's like, hold on, wait, why is the blood sugar so high still? Mm-hmm. Even though we're, we're sending out this insulin, why, you know, but your cells are like, it's almost like they don't see it. <laughs> like, so sometimes <laughs> they see it, sometimes they don't. So, I mean, that's kind of like what insulin resistance means. And then your pancreas start working overtime. And over time, it starts getting burned out. Cells start dying. It gets overworked. And then at some point, now you just need insulin, period. So So that kind of makes sense as to why they call this disease high blood sugar, right? Because the sugar is being building building up in your blood and Mm -hmm. not able to go into the cells because that hormone is not available. So now you're required to take insulin, um, if your doctor recommends so that you can help push the blood, the sugar into the cells. Yes. Yeah. So, um, there's also this thing called pre-diabetes and I think a lot of people Mm -hmm. get confused when they hear pre-diabetes, they get nervous. Am I diabetic? But what does pre-diabetes really mean? Okay. So that's something new that I think that, uh, we're pushing into public, um, so that they understand it. I mean, not just not that long ago, just some a few years back, you didn't hear that term. Right. And not that it didn't exist. People just didn't really talk much about it. And we didn't really know the real implications of it. So pre-diabetes, you actually should be concerned. And that's what I tell my patients. No, you don't have diabetes yet. But pre-diabetes <laughs> means you're on the road to diabetes if you don't do these things to change your lifestyle. Absolutely. That's what that means. So it's an awakening it's that means okay let me get it together so i don't develop diabetes that's all that's what that means so you definitely need to take it seriously if you do if your doctor tells you that you have pre-diabetes because you can that means that you need to make changes now or else you will develop diabetes Mm -hmm. however at the same in the same with the same in the same token um it's it's a good thing because it tells you okay I can prevent myself from getting here. I don't have to have di- get diabetes. I'm not there yet. I can prevent that from ever happening. So what, the way we diagnose it is we check your blood sugar. So we can either check something called an A1C, which just, it's a, you, gotta, you have to draw blood to, t- to check it. And it's basically like an estimate over a few months period of time about what are that, this person's average blood sugars. So we'll check that and then we look for a certain range and that will be pre-diabetes or they can check like um, your fasting glucose means like they'll check your blood sugar when you haven't eaten for a certain amount of time and then they'll say, okay, are they in this range? Then that's pre-diabetes. So that means you are right on that line (laughs) (laughs) before diabetes. Yeah, you're getting there. And there's some things you could kind of look look into when you start experiencing pre-diabetes, you know, like you may have frequent going to the bathroom, frequent urination. Um, Sometimes there might be 
always thirsty or things like that. Um, what are some risk factors of prediabetes? Like when you maybe you mentioned diet before, because that's what we're talking about, but what are some other things that may cause somebody to be at risk of developing diabetes? Mm -hmm. Oh, so what I will say first, so with those symptoms, you typically see those in people who are actually over into that diabetic range. Okay. Um, and you might be able to see it in prediabetes. I haven't really encountered patients that have had any issues, but that's definitely the things you mentioned, the yeah. increased thirst, um, being hungry, increased hunger, and increased urination. So peeing a lot. Um, those are all things that you'll see definitely with people who have really high blood sugars. Mm -hmm. um, and in terms of the risk factors, so one of the risk factors, like I said, um, would be um, over being overweight or obese. So we usually, that's normally kind of determined on, in the medical community by a BMI, which is a measurement that compares your height with your weight. Um, sometimes that BMI can be inaccurate though, depending on the person's body type. If you have a lot of muscle mass, it'll look like, it'll, the BMI will make it appear like uh, that you are overweight. When you're not, you just have a lot of muscle mass. Um, and then with just the same, if you are underweight, like have low muscle mass, like you might see in people who are older, um, the BMI will um, underestimate. It'll look lower than it really is, than it should be compared to how much body fat you have. So a good way to, thing to look at would be your waistline measurement. Um, those are, that's an indication that you're overweight. And that, if you have a high waist measurement, that actually increases your risk of diabetes. Um, I believe, if I remember correctly, for women, it's greater than 35 inches. For men, it's greater than 40. So that would put you at a risk. And then we have uh, people who are not active enough. Mm -hmm. So in terms of physical activity, you should be, act, you should receive at least, you should do at least, um, two and a half hours of activity for the week. Okay. That's the bare minimum to be healthy. So, and that could be anything. It doesn't have to be the gym. It could be walking. It can be doing housework, uh, mm -hmm. gardening, any mowing lawn, any yeah. type of movement, yeah. working. Some people have very physical jobs. So working. Um, so yeah, so definitely not getting enough physical activity and then your diet as well. If you are, if your diet is just not, you're not eating right. So if you are eating a lot of just heavy starches in your diet, um, that could contribute to it. Um, uh, pretty much just anything high fat diet, just anything that creates an unhealthy diet, which is likely to lead to unhealthy weight gain, right? So that can increase your risk of developing diabetes as well. Another risk factor would be genetics. So if someone in your family has diabetes, it'll increase your risk of, of um, developing diabetes. But like I said, if you make some of these changes, you can help to prevent that from happening. Right. So um, yeah, and if you have like a high level of cholesterol in your blood, that is a risk factor as well. So those are just some of the things that can contribute. Yeah. So while we're at those risk factors, like mm -hmm. you mentioned diet being a big one, and that's one that you could probably make the most influence in, right? Mm -hmm. um, let's go into the Mythbuster segment. 
Do you know of any myth bus- myths associated with diabetes in terms of food? Um, one of the myths, um, um, one of the myths would be fruit, um, uh, that some people assume because it's fruit, you can just eat, just keep eating it, eat as much as you want and you'll yeah. be fine. It's healthy. Yes. Fruit is healthy. Um, it's a natural, it has a natural so- form of sugar in it. However, it's still sugar. So your body doesn't really know the difference between the different types of sugar. It's going to break it down in the same, you know, the same way and utilize it as sugar, period. So while fruit is healthy to eat, if you are diabetic or pre-diabetic, you really have to pay attention to one, the types of fruits, because some fruits have more sugar in them than others. And um, some fruits, depending on the actual fruit, will digest slower and won't raise your blood sugar up so quickly. Um, So those are the fruits that you want to try to focus on eating. And then your portion sizes, you're going to have to really monitor how much fruit you're eating if you're pre-diabetic or diabetic, um, because you don't want those crazy changes in your blood sugar. So one of the problems that we see with people with diabetes in terms of um, when they're not following a good diet is they're, you know, they're doing all these spiking, their blood sugar shooting up, then it's dropping. Then they eat something, it shoots up. They don't, they're not eating in a way that kind of keeps their blood sugar on a, an, on a level platform. It's just all these spikes and the drip dot, drops and yeah. So you want to, one, you want to definitely try to eat more frequently. Small meals frequently helps instead of starving yourself fasting for these long periods of time because you'll get those dips and sharp spikes mm-hmm. of blood sugar <clears throat> like that. So with the fruits, um, I usually tell my patients that they really have to be careful with things like bananas and pineapples and mangoes because they have a lot of sugar in them and they will spike your blood sugar up quickly. Yeah. So you're not going to be able to eat a lot of that if you're diabetic. You shouldn't. Citrus fruits as well, grapes, things like that. Um, probably get it kind of similar to grapes. Um, and And when it comes to those seasons, you know, people sit with the whole Mm -hmm. bowl of mangoes and Mm -hmm. oh, it's just a fruit, so it's not gonna affect my sugar. Yeah, yeah. So definitely have to be careful with that. Now, for the fruits that are more friendly with blood sugar, um, would be berries, any type of berry trying to think of Caribbean fruits that would be better off. So any type of like an apple, something very, a lot of fiber in it Mm -hmm. um, would be better because it won't spike your blood sugar up so high. You can't enjoy those other fruits I named. You just have to really be careful with the amount that you're eating. So, yeah. Yeah. So you talk about fiber. Um, A lot of folks don't really know what type of foods that includes. So what, what mm-hmm. fibrous foods would you say or would you recommend? Uh, vegetables. And when I say vegetables, not talking about the starchy vegetables, which we'll get into. So provisions, mm-hmm. as Caribbean people call it, whatever, those like types of things, yam and Christophine and all that, those are more starchy. So um, it would be like your actual, uh, like green, leafy type vegetables, callaloos, something like that um, spinach, um, broccoli, um, things like that. So actual vegetables, not the starchy, the non-starchy vegetables, carrots is okay. 
it can have a lot of sugar if you eat too much of it, but it's not too bad. Um, so those are definitely the types of vegetables you kind of want to eat. Green leafies or other greens, green beans, string beans, that type of thing. Um, and then fruits have fiber as well. So fruits are definitely a good source of fiber. Mm -hmm. And then when you're talking about like breads and those types of starches, uh, you want whole grain. So the brown, the whole grain breads and, um, things like that. Um, and then brown rices or any type of whole grain, uh, rice, which mm -hmm. we may not eat too much of. The other thing, beans and peas. So not a common thing yeah. we have in so, <laughs> so we eat plenty of peas in our rice and all that. So, you know, gungo peas, all that stuff that's has some fiber in it as well. Um, what am I missing? That's pretty much it in terms of fiber. The, the sources, major sources of fiber. Okay. So a lot of folks don't tend to think um, that provisions fall under those starchy foods, you know, because we always hear provisions are vegetables. So talk a little bit about that. Okay. So yes, they are considered vegetables, <laughs> but they're starchy vegetables. So they are a source of sugar for your body. So your body's going to break them down into sugar and that will affect your blood sugar as a result. So you have to be very careful with the amount. So, I mean, a lot of these do have some good vitamins, minerals, and other things, fiber and things in them as well. They have fiber as well. But for a pre-diabetic or diabetic, you have to really be careful with the amount you're eating. So we're talking about your plant, your plantain, your green banana, your, um, Yeah. <laughs> Um, so what about alcohol? I know we tend to love our alcohol <laughs> and we don't think it affects our blood sugar, but talk to us a little bit about what yeah. alcohol does. It, it definitely does affect our blood sugar, um, primarily because of what we add to it. Uh, now, if you were drinking just straight liquor with nothing, no juice or anything added, it, it, it can affect your blood sugar. Depending on what kind it is, rum, yes. Uh, vodka, not so much. Um, but it's definitely what we add to it. And the other thing about alcohol in general is too much of it obviously is associated with increased risk of a lot of different mm -hmm. illnesses, including like cancer and things like that affecting it can affect your liver, your kidneys. Um, but also if you're trying to lose weight, it's not helpful. Alcohol is not very helpful with weight loss. So that will hinder your weight loss if you're drinking too much of it. Now, in terms of what we're adding to it, well, there's a lot of sugar in these juices and things that we're adding. Rum, punch, soda. pure sugar, soda, um, whatever those else you're mixes, putting Those mixes, like it. the margarita yes. mixes and yeah. all those, those yeah. account all for those a lot of sugar. A, yes. So definitely you have to monitor how much alcohol you're consuming with when you have prediabetes, just anyone, period, 
-hmm. for your health. You have to monitor. And there are different, there's a recommended intake for women and men, which is a little bit different. Um, they say no more than one drink a day for, for men. I mean, for women and no more than two a day for men is, will put you in a healthy space in terms of alcohol consumption. So we hear a lot about these sugary additives to alcohol. So for the person who might consider, okay, I'll just use sugar free, um, or those with artificial sweeteners, what, what are your thoughts on that? Um, so they've had like studies on some of the artificial sweeteners. I know they were some people were saying that it was linked to cancer and there hasn't been any solid information saying any of the artificial sweeteners will increase your risk of cancer. But, um, I will say if you are diabetic, I would prefer, I prefer my patients to use an artificial sweetener over sugar. Mm-hmm. Not to say that they're healthy per se, but if you have trouble regulating your blood sugar, I'd rather you sweeten something with, something that's not going to affect your blood sugar over just regular sugar. So, um, yeah, it can be a better option for people who have diabetes or even pre-diabetes, but it's not necessarily, I can't really call it healthy per se, Right. but it's, it is an option. Yeah. So it's not going to add to that sugar content because it's artificial sugars, but it's probably not the best option. Yeah. Probably. And I mean, it's chemically made. It's not natural. It's, you know, so. Yeah. You talked earlier about splitting up your meals uh, over a longer period of time for those with diabetes. What exactly, how would you separate that? What would be your recommendation? Um, so for most people, I will tell them at least do like three okay. meals. You could do more potentially, but most people, um, three is probably it makes more sense for them. Anything more than that, they may not be able to really do. They, you know, especially how busy people are these days. So I was definitely something in the morning and you can call it breakfast, whatever you want to call it, food. <laughs> people, when you say breakfast, people tend to think of certain types of foods. Your body doesn't know the difference. They just know, yeah. it just knows food. So you won't, yeah, so you can literally <laughs> anything in the morning and be fine. But breakfast, lunch, dinner, essentially. So at least... Mm-hmm. And try to, and eat maybe even some snacks in between that will be helpful just to kind of keep your blood sugar from dropping, especially if, if there's been a lot of, a, um, a number of hours that are going to pass between your, the time you eat in the morning and the time you eat lunch, you want to have something in between that time as well. So three meals and two snacks would be decent. I mean, that's pretty good. So yeah, the, the key is just not to allow yourself you want to keep your blood sugar pretty stable throughout the day. You don't want to, when you get to a point where you're starving, that means your blood sugar is probably a lot lower than it should be. Um, and then you eat and what's going to happen is it's going to shoot up, especially depending on, depends on what type, what you eat as well, but your blood sugar will shoot up. And then if you are making insulin or you're taking insulin or whatever, it's going to drop down. And then if you wait a long time again, it's going to get really low and then mm-hmm. you're going to eat and it'll shoot up really high. So you don't want that. You kind of want the more stable uh, level of blood sugar throughout the day. So you want to eat more frequently. Don't allow too much time to, to pass between the times that you're eating. 
Right. And that low blood sugar portion, like if it gets too low, that could be really, really risky for you, right? A lot more dangerous yes. than having high blood sugar. What are yes. some of the symptoms to look forward to if that were to happen? Mm-hmm. So some people might have dizziness. They may feel just off, like confused, or mm-hmm. um, they may have some tingling. They may, their heart rate may go up, so they may have palpitations, like the heart is racing. Um, they may feel just like fatigued. Um, they may start to feel kind of sleepy or drowsy or, you know, so there, you just want to really look out for those types of signs and check your blood sugar. If you're experiencing any of that, um, because it's, it can be dangerous, as you said, especially for people who are older, because it'll make you unstable and if you could fall out or pass out lose consciousness and for an older person falling is not safe at all Um, that can have a lot of other health mm -hmm. problems associated with it Mm -hmm. and if it just drops too low i mean literally you can end up in a coma or it can potentially lead to death so you definitely have to be aware of those weird feeling sensations that you might be having especially if you have diabetes Mm-hmm. So, and especially if you're on insulin, there's a higher chance or certain medications, pills that are, will increase your risk of having a low blood sugar. So you want to just kind of get in tune with your body. And if you have some weird feelings, sensations, something seems off, you want to go ahead and check your blood sugar. Yeah. So there are some foods that you might want to use if you start getting that bad feeling, um, like maybe mm-hmm. some orange juice or mm-hmm. um, I know some of the recommendations are like milk. What are some other options? Um, definitely. I would do orange juice, but not a lot. Sometimes people, because you feel yeah. off and you're like, oh, I got to raise my blood sugar and they just drink a bunch of orange juice, then it's going to shoot up way high. <laughs> now you have to, so um, you don't want to do that maybe like a half a cup of orange juice. Okay. You can do some people have glucose like tabs. You can take a few of those. That will help. Um, you can, if you have a piece of candy, small piece of candy, you can have that. That'll help to raise it up. Uh, even drinking like a half a cup of soda, anything that has um, like a simple refined sugar type of like white sugar in it will mm-hmm. raise your blood sugar up pretty quickly. Um, I wouldn't do fruit. Anything like that is going to digest a little bit slower. So you want something that's going to raise it up a little bit faster. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's some great information. We thank you so much. Um, This is going to be a short episode because we wanted to digest all of the dietary information associated with diabetes because I think it's so, so, so important. Um, So tell folks how they can find you, the fit doctor. (laughs) So I am on Instagram primarily. So it's my Instagram handle is at fit.official. And then I have a website, which is www.fitdocofficial.com. And then I'm on Twitter at fitdocofficial. I'm not really that active on there. And then Facebook, you can find me. I have a Facebook fitdoc page. So F-I-T-D-O-C. and those are primarily the places you can email me at fit.nutrition at gmail.com as well. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Calder. This was great. I think we got a lot of information out of it. I hope it 
clarify some of the issues we have with food and we'll be able to really understand how to just treat everything with moderation like you recommended. Um, are you, do you have any closing thoughts on this topic? Um, really, I just, want, I just want everyone to try to educate yourself as much as possible to take the opportunity to learn as much as you can just about health and ways that you can try to stay healthy. And even if you do develop some of these diseases like diabetes or high blood pressure, it doesn't mean that that's just it. You just take medicine and that's it. You actually have to do some work and you can improve your health even if you have those conditions. You may get to a point where you need less medicine or none at all potentially. Um, but yeah, so just focusing on everyone, I just want everyone to kind of focus on trying to improve their health, taking it seriously and educating yourself as best as you can by utilizing different platforms like this. And that's it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. We really appreciate you. And we'll probably have another discussion with you about diabetes because this is just the tip of the iceberg, right? No, exactly. Thank you for having me. As Dr. Calder mentioned, prediabetes is a key indicator that a person may develop diabetes. Learning about food and making the appropriate dietary changes is just one way you can prevent the development of this disease. Take some time to learn about the small changes you can make in your lifestyle that can help prevent the development of diabetes. If you enjoyed this episode, follow RX Rounds on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter. And don't forget to hit the subscribe button, rate, comment, and review this podcast. And we'll see you next round on RX Rounds.